This is the extraordinary tale of two brothers named Moses and Ramesses, one born of royal blood and one an orphan with a secret past. Growing up the best of friends, they share a strong bond of free-spirited youth and good-natured rivalry. But the truth will ultimately set them at odds, as one becomes the ruler of the most powerful empire on earth, and the other the chosen leader of his people. Their final confrontation will forever change their lives and the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bottom of the bin. Hello friends, I'm Matt Butler. And I've been eating nothing but mac and cheese for five days straight. With me, as always, is Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, I'm Ben McVitie, and I have not worn shoes in about a month and a half because I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't worn shoes in a month and a half, but I've I've gone anywhere. <laughs> I just don't wear shoes. <laughs> I'm uh, I ever since the Lord of the Rings marathon, I just live in the Hobbit life because who cares, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. So today we're we're going to talk about a movie that is way too good for our podcast, The Prince of Egypt, directed by Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells in 1998, one of the first DreamWorks films. I I want to say this is this is the second one after Ants. Remember that one? Oh yes, that was the one that was a ripoff of A Bug's Life, even though it came before A Bug's Life. Yes, because but they like keep... they found out what Pixar was doing, and then it was like, "We'll make one faster." Exactly. To um, mixed results, I think there's still there's still merit to Ants, but you know that's up for debate. And just like Ants with A Bug's Life, it's arguable that DreamWorks wanted to tap into the Lion King vibe with this movie. We're going to get into that, all the plot stuff in a bit. But first, Ben, tell me what you thought, because you uh, you never seen this movie until I told you to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I think it is, I agree. It's way too good for us to be talking about it on this podcast. At the very start, they give like one of those, this motion picture you're about to see is an adaptation of the Exodus story. And it talks about how like that they've taken historical licenses, but they think that the film is true to like the essence values and integrity of like that biblical story. And I think they do a really good job at that, at getting the story across in a way that's really powerful and yeah obviously it's sanitized um and it's condensed into 90 minutes but they do a really good job with it overall i'm curious what you mean by sanitized what can you elaborate on that like they it's not so much that they like cut things out as much as they just kind of will brush over some of the like the fact that pharaoh ordered the firstborn of every israelite child to be beheaded so that like they they like that's in the movie but they kind of just like quickly go over it without like bringing in how dark it is i don't know i mean wasn't that whole like i mean remember moses's nightmare with the hieroglyphs yeah like he relives that whole experience and like you see the the soldiers pulling at the mother's hair and then but stealing if you're the babies, a kid and then you they don't throw... know what's going on i i understand that and and i agree that like you you obviously can't go too dark. Like you can't go like Twelve Years a Slave on a, in a children's animated film. And you know what? Like when I watched it as a kid, I I definitely didn't pick up on like the darker themes of it. 
So I'll, I'll give you that. But I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's a detriment or like, like PC culture. I, I mean, I really like that, uh, at least in the beginning, we see the slaves breaking their backs and it's, and it's awful. But when it comes to um, Yohebet, uh, who's Mo- Moses' mother, when, when they are fleeing from the village to uh, bring Moses to the water, like all that stuff is happening in shadows, like some like off screen we can but it's not until later when it becomes more integral to to the plot and Moses' development like when he realizes oh wait yes all this these terrible things happen and it's all right here on the walls he just walked right past them all his life and now it's this big epiphany i would say it's less like sanitizing more like subtlety right you know like it's it's not passion of the christ <laughs> Is what no. I mean. Yeah, and with what you were saying about like how it taps into the story and and like the the essence of the Bible, what I'm curious about is because this story is focused so much on their so the relationship between Moses and Ramesses, their brothers. Uh, one is a Hebrew brought into royalty; the other is destined to carry his father's crown. I'm wondering because it's that's the center of it, and now the religiosity of it is kind of put to the side. Is this still a Christian movie? I mean, there's a very you have Christian movie is a difficult thing to define because it could be like I think when most people say Christian movies, they mean movies that are made by Christian studios. So like God's Not Dead, God's Not Dead, or Pure Flicks, God's Not Pure Dead, Flix, three. that whole thing, yeah. Yeah. Anything um, that appears on Pure Flix. Does this movie appear on Pure Flix? I doubt it. No. It's But then if you think well is a Christian movie just a movie that deals with like is it a retelling of a biblical story? In that case you've got The Passion of the Christ, you've got this movie, you've got, you know, that Russell Crowe Noah movie, yeah, The 10 Commandments, Exodus Gods and Kings, I guess. Noah Almighty. But then I think also another what I would consider the definition of a Christian movie is a movie that deals with Christian themes. And I think that actually would be a lot of movies. Like the matrix is full of like biblical symbolism. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I, for me, it's like how it, for me, it, it, it think about it like this. So you know how, cause you and I are both, you're, you're Christian, right? And I'm, I'm Protestant. Mm-hmm. Yes. And obviously, we're not promoting our our values on this podcast, not at all. Do what you want. You can be a Satanist for all I care. Just be a good person. And for me, thinking about like whether it makes it a Christian movie is how much do you cringe when your pastor brings it up in sermon? So you know what he's gonna do. He'd be like, "So last night, I watched The Matrix." And I noticed a lot of very <laughs> yeah. interesting, powerful things in the movie. So, so, so crap like that. <laughs> My pastor once brought up, um, this was recently, he said, um, he was talking about the movie Twister. And he, he said, there's this movie from the director of Jurassic Park. It's called Twister. What? And I'm just thinking, <laughs> that's exactly Steven what I'm Spielberg talking about. Did not direct Twister. He did not. I'm pretty sure like Kathleen Kennedy was attached to that one, but no. <laughs> No, no, no. Maybe that was an Amblin produced one. Let me check. 
Okay, so it was it was um, uh, produced by Amblin Entertainment and had right. the same editor as Jurassic Park, Michael Kahn. But that's uh, that's uh, oh, and also it's written by Michael Crichton. So, <laughs> so he could have said the makers of yeah, Jurassic just could have said the makers <laughs> of Jurassic Park. That's pretty much the same thing in most people's most people's yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just such a for me, that's where it's like, okay, sure, it has Christian allegories and stuff, but I mean, unless it's written by C.S. Lewis, <laughs> I think it's it's fair to say that the Bible, even if you're not Christian, has has had such an. I mean, it is the what is it? What what did you say last time? The best selling book of all time. It is the best selling book of all time. Yeah, so. It's not surprising that 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 those themes and allegories would spread outside of the Christian community. Like, like when we think of biblical, we don't always mean like "Thou shall not do this that." It's it's more like epic and awe inspiring, and that that doesn't always have to be connected to faith. And that's why I'm conflicted about calling this a Christian movie. Not that it has to be. I just think like. Um, because it is more focused on the emotional tragedy between the brothers that, um, it, it makes it, I wonder if, if it both alienates Christian audiences, but also, um, uh, expands the audience so that, you know, someone from like secular culture can, can enjoy this movie just fine without feeling like they're being preached to. Right. Um, I would also just add that, um, like, it's not just Christianity that has the story of Moses. Like, that's part of that's true. Judaism, yeah. Islam. Like, a lot of the Abrahamic religions would have, like, the story of Exodus with Moses. Did you, um, I don't know if you stuck around to the very end of the credits, but did you see the three quotes that they, they uh, put right after? I did not. So there's quotes from... The Bible, the Hebrew Bible, uh, the New Testament, and the Quran. So interesting. So this movie, and like they uh, had professionals from all those different faiths uh, to look at the movie to make sure it was uh, faithful to it. And from what I read, they seem to do a pretty good job. But yeah, so I think this helps the the story become more commercial but also it, it's just more like human for reference i um i went and watched the 10 commandments which is the f- like first big inspiration for this movie cuz jeffrey katzenberg um when he was at disney he wanted to so jeffrey katzenberg just to set up is um he was it was him, Steven Spielberg, and David Geffen that made DreamWorks. And Jeffrey Katzenberg, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, really wanted to stick it to Disney, which would explain Ants, Shrek. Shrek, yeah. Yeah, Shrek is a big middle finger to all things Disney. Um, well, because he was fired from Disney. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, him and Michael Eisner just just hated each other, and so he really wanted to make the an, an animated version of the Ten Commandments, but but Michael Eisner said no. 
So then he brings it up at a dinner with Steven Spielberg, and he's like, hey, you should do the Ten Commandments. And so then that's, you know, like a lot of great things, Steven Spielberg was the one that said, hey, do this. <laughs> that's actually something interesting. Spielberg has a bit of, seems to have a bit of a gift of that, is like being the one person who can recognize a good idea when no one else does. Like that was him with Back to the Future. He also was, when it came to Gremlins, he was the one that suggested that Gizmo, the cute little Mogwai, stay a cute little Mogwai instead of turning into one of the gruesome gremlins. So, you know, he understands the way to an audience's heart. So I watched The Ten Commandments, uh, the uh, 1950s Cecil B. DeMille biblical epic. This is at a time when uh, biblical epics were all the rage in the 1950s. Um, and this one is a staggering three hours and 40 minutes long. Is that all? For a is that all? Epic in the, for a biblical epic in the 1950s. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Cecil B. DeMille, he, I looked up his filmography, and, he, and this isn't the first time he's directed a movie titled The Ten Commandments. He did one back in the, in the 30s, uh, which I think is like two hours long. And so he's like, he wasn't done. <laughs> isn't Ben-Hur like 14 years long? <laughs> you mean the remake the the reboot the the, the most recent one because the because the one everyone lauds every, the one everyone loves is is also a remake but it was a remake right. of like a really really early ben-hur you know because like they had to, what's the one that's on the afi list i think you're you're thinking of ben-hur with um that was with oh that's also charlton heston okay so he was all about the big biblical epics and that one is ben-hur is three hours and 44 minutes long so so he didn't have his share i guess um from from the ten (laughs) commandments he needed more ben-hur is definitely a better movie overall yeah it has one really great scene and then it's just a boring movie (laughs) it's a really well it's it's something you have to you have to prepare yourself, right? Like, like it's why when I post marathon movie marathons in our group, I don't do it. I'm, I'm no longer like, Oh, Hey guys, we're doing a marathon today. It's like, it's now like a week before. <laughs> yeah. Cause that takes a lot. Oh of yeah. 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 takes a lot of energy. Right. And, and I mean, I'm glad, you know, movies didn't stay like that, <laughs> you know, five hours long, but yeah, I mean, at least they look good. I mean, I mean, Ben Hur definitely has some of the most amazing cinematography and you know set design I've ever seen. But the Ten Commandments, the movie, takes the book as scripture because it is, but also right. because yeah, <laughs> um, and because of that, I think there's not as much nuance as there is in the Prince of Egypt. Like it takes Moses's and uh, Ramesses' relationship much more simplistically like like there's there's not really any brotherly connection they're more like like school rivals almost like their relationship is very uh one-dimensional and and it works for the movie because it focuses way more on the broad scope of of the the general story of it rather than the character itself like it like right this is the Ten Commandments is about the Bible. Prince of Egypt is about Moses. True. Okay, that that yeah, that's a good comparison there. 
and for for that and also like the length right when you when you get so much more out of this like 90 minute movie and also just how how it is a very dated movie like not just in the in the tech because like you can see all the like uh matte lines whenever whenever there's a green screen it's very obvious because there's that thick black line around all the characters and and I just hope somebody went in and, and tightened that up because the one I watched was not. <laughs> um, but it's also like every every woman in the film is either uh, really, really thirsty for, for Moses or uh, just a doubting housewife. Right. So, yeah, it's it, it's not it's not groundbreaking to say a movie a movie from the 1950s hasn't aged well. I mean, unless it's 12 Angry Men, that movie is perfect. Uh, but yeah. So as I said earlier, uh, this movie taps into a real Lion King vibe. I'm not sure how intentional that was on DreamWorks' part. I want to say it's the same thing with Ants and Shrek and Shark Tale. What I wanted to talk about was all the connections to the Lion King and all the similar plot elements because obviously it's not the exact same movie, but it, it taps into the feel of of The Lion King really well to the point where I'm sometimes debating with myself which one I like more. Um, so I'm going to bring up all those similarities, um, and then I'm going to let you, Ben, just destroy all of them. Sounds good. <laughs> Okay, so here are all the similar elements between uh, Lion King and The Prince of Egypt. Number one, they both have an opening song that introduces the lead character as a baby, and the song ends with a big boom. Number two, uh, the brothers, they both have brothers in royalty heading down different but converging paths. Uh, next, number three, lead finds comfort in parental figure talking about an ethereal presence guiding them for simba it's uh, mufasa telling about the stars and the kings of the past for moses it's his mother talking about the gods and how they brought him to them um number four the main character feels guilt for supposedly murdering someone goes into exile um number five uh the hero sets aside their past and grows through song montage um Num- that's uh, Akuna Matata, and then in Prince of Egypt, it's uh, Through Heaven's Eyes. Um, number six, uh, the hero speaks to a heavenly spirit that urges them to return home and set things right. That's Mufasa in the clouds, or the burning bush in this case. Number seven, there is no number seven, because that's where all the similarities end. Uh, there is one very arbitrary <laughs> sim. There is one more arbitrary similarity. Uh, both Moses and Simba have a very similar line. Uh, Simba has, everything you ever told me was a lie. And Moses has, so everything I thought, everything I am, is a lie. So, what do you think? Okay, so, with the opening song, they intro- so yes, they both introduce the lead as a baby, but it's a different context like Simba is oh yeah, being yeah I'm shown not saying to... they have similar context but right yeah. um like it's in they're di- they're very different things happening in each of those songs um yes. which I'll say while we're talking about that that was I think a really powerful 
um, opening oh, yeah. to the movie very emotional. Like seeing, because like you, I grew up in Sunday school hearing that story. Oh yes, Moses was put in a basket and sent down to the river, and Pharaoh's daughter found him, which is a difference in this movie. It seems to be as his wife that finds him, but it was his daughter. Uh, yes, yeah, it was the daughter, and then. Um... Yeah, I think that's just there to to simplify. Yeah, just to, yeah. yeah, they do the same thing. They do the same thing in the Ten Commandments, where the mother finds. Actually, you know what? No, no, it was it was the daughter. So there was more fidelity in the uh, in the Ten Commandments. But I think it it definitely helps because because this movie, the dramatic license is all for the sake of heightening the emotions. So the attachment between the mother and the and the son and that. So yeah. Um, but you you really get a sense of how hard it was for the mom to put her son, just send him down the river, but knowing that if I keep him, he's going to be killed. Exactly. Yeah. And and the whole song being his connection with his mother is such a such a cool tool for a musical film, like like something I didn't really register until the last time I watched it was that. After Pharaoh scolds Moses and Ramesses, you hear Moses whistling the tune from his mother. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the... right, right. Like, and that's that's important because that sets up what happens later, where where Mary and his birth sister uh, that he f- meets in the village, and she sings that song, and then that triggers his memory you know going back to that song though that they both end with a big noise that's called <laughs> in in musical the button in the world of musicals that's called the button and pretty much yeah. every opening number ends in a button i like i decided to I just know. go through and listen to opening numbers so i listened to alexander <laughs> hamilton another day of sun from la la land arabian nights from aladdin I listened to like the theme song from Avenue Q, Belle from Beauty and the Beast, Welcome to the Rock from Come From Away, and Anybody Have a Map from Dear Evan Hansen. All but Arabian Nights had a button. So saying they both have a button at the end of the opening number isn't really that much of a... But this is a, this is a specific type of button. It's like that big timpani drum, like... It's not like like playing a brass note or or a big piano note. It's a specific type of like percussive button. And yeah, it's arbitrary. I just thought it was a cute little thing that these both these epic biblical types of stories both have that that same type of button. So yeah, I'll give you that. It's kind of arbitrary. <laughs> okay, so then number 2 was yeah brothers and royalty heading down different but converging paths that's true um this is actually what i found this one interesting because i think that would be more of a similarity if scar was simba's brother and as i started thinking about that though i thought what if in the lion king scar was simba's brother that would actually that would be really interesting i almost want to see like live in a universe where that's the The, way it is um like i think the problem with the that? problem, yeah. Well, the problem with that is that Scar is his competition is Mufasa, at least in because because that story definitely relates more to Hamlet. Like it takes like looking mm-hmm. at 
the influences in Lion King. There's there's Joseph um, and Moses from the Bible, as well as Hamlet. And um, Kimba the White Lion. And Kimba the White Lion. Oh, we it, can't forget that. Except I um, think that's a little bit... People don't really know what they're talking about when they say, oh, Disney plagiarized The Lion King. Have you seen Kimba the White Lion? Because none of them have ever actually watched the no. Kimba the White Lion. No one has watched it. I, I, um, I actually don't yeah. think it's plagiarized. There are some weird similarities, but also the studio that made Kimba doesn't think it's plagiarized. If Scar was Simba's brother, I almost think that'd be interesting if he has to get rid of Mufasa and Simba, as that's the way that he can become king, is getting rid of both of them. If Scar is like the younger brother to Simba. Yeah. I think it works um, fine for... It does, yeah. But I just thought that's interesting. And it's more... I think that like... So I was I was just kind of giving... Like, okay. So I was giving that... So I was just kind of giving a, something to this movie in the comparison to The Lion King to Prince of Egypt that um, like the thing about them being brothers is that there's a lot of a... There's a big kind of emotional thing that you have when he comes back to confront him and mm-hmm. when he keeps coming back and saying i need you to let my people go and he won't do it there's there's that emotional investment to it whereas you don't get that as much when scar is or when simba's fighting scar true and in that case it's more because and that's where the similarity like as far as the comparisons between prince of egypt and lion king the similarities end about when Moses comes back to Egypt and then it becomes, goes back to being the Bible, just the Bible story. Um, uh, I'd say because the focus is different, like for, for Simba, it was confronting his past and the idea that he thinks he murdered his father. Whereas with, with Moses, and this can connect also with, with the other point about, why they leave because right you pointed that out to me and and i i realized yeah that is a difference like it, they he does moses doesn't leave because he murdered a guy that's like the the straw that breaks the, the camel's back fitting it's egypt um and then with with simba his emotional connection to scar isn't necessary because at that point their their relationship we can wrap that up pretty quickly. Whereas with Moses and Ramesses, they they have a lot more shit to sort out. And and I and that's for me because it taps into into a more emotional, nuanced conflict than than just your nep- nephew confronting his evil uncle. So yeah, we got the supposed murder um, for the. Uh, lead finds comfort in parent talking about an ethereal presence guiding them. Um, that does um, that does happen in both of those movies, but like the reaction to it is completely different because Moses doesn't accept it in this movie. Like he, she talks about so Moses's mother talks about the gods, but um, referring to the Egyptian gods, but Moses doesn't end up believing in the Egyptian gods. Like he doesn't continue the path that she's trying to set him on. Yes. Yeah. Whereas Simba, when he talks about the, his father and the, how all of the stars represent his ancestors, mm-hmm. that's the thing that like comes back and makes him realize and brings him back at the end. And for me, that's like, 
when when explaining these similarities, it's definitely plot more than story. So like plot is the series of events that happen. It's the beats. The story is what it's actually about. So yeah, where these two are different is definitely story. With plot, this is just like the beat where we calm down, like where we ease the tension mm-hmm. right before a whole new crappy situation starts right before a whole new set of tension comes into play so yeah so we talked about him feeling guilt for supposedly murdering someone which is again another it's it's another thing that's similar in plot but in story like it serves kind of different purposes like they have different reasons for running away um and then they set aside their past and grows through song montage. Oh, that one I'll give you. Um, You'll throw me a bone on that one. But you can't say these are the same movie because they both no, no, grow no. through song montage. No, this. Well, if even if this was, even if I did believe that these that this was a ripoff of the Lion King, I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> this because because it is handled very effectively. This is good artists borrow, great artists steal. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like they do service different, somewhat similar purpose. Cause, cause in both situations you have characters that are, um, they have a lot of baggage. Uh, Simba thinks he's, uh, killed his father, Moses. Um, he has just abandoned his whole, uh, his whole life. And I, th- I mean, as far as him killing the, uh, the Egyptian soldier. Um, it is the straw broke camel's back, but it's also like, it's just another reminder that he is not of this world. He does not belong there. So he's just, he feels, he feels alienated from everything. So he doesn't feel like he deserves to be anywhere, which is and biblical symbolism too. Well, I mean, the whole movie is a biblical story, but the idea that where we are is not the world that we're intended for. Yeah, and then like having the song being about looking through heaven's eyes is, yeah, okay, I, I see your connection there. What about the next one about uh, a heavenly spirit that urges them to return home and set things right? Yeah, yeah, that that happens in both movies. I think it takes Simba a little more time, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, it does. Because he does have a responsibility that he knows that he's neglecting. Whereas Moses is just, he just kind of takes a sabbatical and then it's like, oh, hey, you want to come back and free the slaves? <laughs> You'd be doing me a solid. Love you, God. <laughs> and the reason why he left biblically was um, because he killed an Egyptian who was beating an Israelite like they did in the movie and Pharaoh was going to execute him for that. So he runs and hides to save his life so then when he's going back to pharaoh it's like he's walking to the person who's trying to kill him okay okay and this it's he's walking to his brother who mm-hmm. there's the relationship tension yeah and who he's willing to pardon him of everything yeah because I'm, I'm pretty sure by the time um okay so seti uh who is their father Seti in in this movie, the last time we see him is when he sees Moses has figured out that they killed all the Hebrews, the firstborns. Um, and then he's like, oh, my son, they were only slaves. And then that's the last we see of him. Um, uh, 
And I'm pretty sure by the time Moses comes back, just like it is in the Ten Commandments movie, said he dies. And I'm pretty sure the mother has also died. Yeah. And and I'm guessing the reason they adapted that, like made it so he wasn't just running away from, from being killed, was to give him more agency and to make him less of like, less an issue of survival and more of displacement. Yeah. Like again, it, they say at the beginning that we've taken creative licenses, and I think that's 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 okay. I wanted to mention about I wanted to talk briefly about the uh, the burning bush. Okay. Um. So in figuring out how to do the voice of the burning bush, they DreamWorks they looked at all these different examples through like TV and film, and they wanted to do something completely new, and. What I really, really like about this interpretation is that they just got Val Kilmer, who voices Moses, to also voice God. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't even notice? No. Really? Okay. And the logic behind that is uh, because the way we think of God in our own unique ways, everybody who believes in God anyway— is with our own voice so it almost it it helps make god seem less of this like like when you watch the ten commandments the voice is like i am god here are the ten commandments thou shall not steal that kind of that kind of thing and it's 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 borderline comical watching it these these days it's like yeah it's a little overkill but this, it's like, because you need to strike different tones with God. Like, like right after he goes, oh, who made man's mouth? He, um, he wraps Moses in this, like, shroud of smoke and, like, speaks so, so softly. And it's like, yeah, this is a good, this is what I picture in, like, a very spiritual sense, what God is like. Yeah, and so I asked you, because I'm still, I still debate it with myself whether i like this one or lion king more what are your thoughts on comparing the two quality wise so okay if i'm being forced to compare the two um so there's kind of different ways you look at it so they're so they're both musicals so if i'm just going to compare the music i think that there's no question that the songs in the lion king overall are better songs than the songs in this one um, but they use music differently. Um, like, cause this is more conventional musical theater music, not in terms of like its style, but in that, like it's in its goal is to advance plot and like bring what the character's emotions are and like feed into the narrative. Whereas the Lion King and pretty much every Disney musical is the songs are written to kind of be songs that you can sing out of the context. Like, the Lion King songs, they're more designed to, like, be a jam. Like, they're written by Elton John. Okay. They're more fun than okay, the songs in this. Yeah, I, I think I see where you're coming with that. It's like, like, if we were to compare Lion King with with another Disney film that does that, it'd be, like, Hunchback. Right. Which is also, like, Prince of Egypt, Stephen Schwartz. And, and I, I see what you mean with that. I mean, I think Lion, the songs of Lion King are still 
integral to the plot. They are, but like Hakuna Matata is written to be like enjoyable <laughs> when you saying- just hear it on the radio. <laughs> These songs, the difference is that these songs are made to be enjoyable. If you just stop there, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm saying like, um, like you go far back into the Disney catalog. A lot of the songs, um, I think, are more like that, where where they can be pulled out of the film just fine and moved around. Like that's like if you ask me, that's one of the reasons why adapt why John Favreau going from Jungle Book to The Lion King was such a weird choice i mean i get it like oh he can make cgi animals look cool um but the way the songs function in the jungle book is way different from the songs in the lion king like you're talking about how they're jams and stuff in lion king in in jungle book you can you can pull bare necessities out of one scene and put it in a completely different scene in lion king the structure is so integral to where the songs pop up Maybe you could sing it out of context just fine, but as far as like pulling and pushing all the different plot elements, it's impossible to, or at least very challenging, I guess, to. to right, but it. the thing is, is Disney wants their songs to like top the charts. Oh yeah, yeah. This doesn't seem like this movie is as concerned about that as Disney is with their movies. I'd say When You Believe is probably the closest to, to the 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 chart topper that you're thinking of i mean it won best song that year the oscars yeah and then as far as story goes like this is again it's a simplified version of exodus but if you compare it to the lion king the story is i think a lot more um compelling in this than lion king with them being brothers and there's the emotional yeah it's more compelling in prince of egypt than lion king um the them being brothers instead of the uncle more of an emotional stake um with him but it's also more complex because he the world he grows up in is not his home so when he's returning home he's actually not going home he's going back to like his fake home and there's Mm. different layers like it's a little bit more of a complicated story um it's not it's not a there and back again uh will restore things to the way they were um before that kind of story exactly so my general comparison between the two is that so prince of egypt is a more powerful narrative than the lion king but the lion king is almost as powerful and it's way more fun and so if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to have to choose The Lion King. But, like, I don't want to say that, like, I like the lo- that I think The Lion King is better because that undermines how good of a movie this is. Like, I want to just say they're both great movies. Yeah, they're both they're both good in their own right. It's it's almost like this is just like the older brother of The Lion King. Lion King is something you can jump into a lot more easily and also come out of a lot more easily. Like. Like this does, if you're unless you completely forget about how Moses had to abandon his brother and all the tragedy of that, it is, yeah, it is a very heavy movie. Um, I wouldn't say too heavy. I, I read reviews on this and how people at the time, like the people that nays the naysayers of this movie said it took itself too seriously or that it was too dour. And I'm like, well, what do you think? 
are they're going to do with this subject matter in a way that's not like insulting to children you know like it we don't have to make this kid friendly like in in the sense of like there's family movies and then there's kids movies those two get bundled together but i think there is a big difference yeah and this i i know a lot of people love how to train your dragon but for me this is this is dreamworks hitting its peak way too early yeah yeah i would probably agree with that um i mean i love how to train your dragon but this might be yeah peak dreamworks Mm. it's um yeah it's one of those times where jeffrey katzenberg's bitter contempt for disney actually made something artistically beautiful i mean apart from shrek that that's also artistically beautiful (laughs) (laughs) insert clip of of shrek here that says the opposite (laughs) okay all right so yeah as we're finishing up here i just want to say kind of on more of a personal note uh, i just want to thank you guys sincerely for uh, listening to this podcast in this uh, very weird kind of time that we're in um it's just i've really enjoyed having this kind of safe environment where we can talk about these movies and know that you know it's it's a safe time to listen to a podcast absolutely absolutely um sorry one sec one sec Okay, I I just got some troubling news from Greg, our producer slash head scientist at Bomb of the Bin. Um, breaking news, uh, the coronavirus has mutated, and now it can spread through podcasts. Oh. So, yes. So, um, everybody, uh, please remember to wear your masks whenever you're listening to podcasts. We don't know which podcasts are are positive but let's just assume the worst and say stay six feet away from all your podcasts um yes so don't don't use headphones it goes right through the headphones into the ear canals into the brain that could be bad yes do we have any housekeeping do we have any not really no i mean we have our instagram stories up um you know hopefully it'll spread faster than the than most story <laughs> templates, trans. What did you think I was going to say? Uh, I thought you were going to say, hopefully it'll spread faster than the coronavirus. What? Why Why the hell would I say that? Why is that That's a thing? Okay. Weird, random tangent there. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, stay tuned uh, next week when we definitely have the podcast in on time because, of course, I always edit on time. And as always, be sure to wash your hands and watch your movies. Thank you.